0: Greetings, TuneIn listeners. This is Keila Parkinson, your host of TuneIn, radio for your mind, body, and soul. And today, following up our show last week with Cheryl Mabry on Yoga for First Responders, we are going to go deeper into the practice of yoga. Everybody say it with me. Oh, oh you hear that voice? This is Mike Zolfo of the Yoga Room. Greetings, Mike. Say hello to the people on the, the radio show and podcast here.
1: Hello everybody. Glad that you tuned in.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Thanks for that plug. Um so I interestingly enough, I found myself recently not getting very nervous about my interviews. And I sort of had a little talk with myself, like, what's going on? Do you are you not as invested in this? Or are you you know, are you, is this getting old hat for you? And, and not that it is by any means, but as a communications coach, I start asking myself these questions like, Hey, don't forget how important this is. you got to have a little nervousness to be, to be good at what you do. And this morning, interestingly enough, I found the nerves coming back. And then I had another talk with myself. Well, what is that about? And I, the answer is because I'm interviewing one of my lifelong teachers, <laughs> <laughs> I've referenced him on the show. Yeah, pressure. I've referenced him on the show before. I've referenced Mike Zolfo in the the yoga room. And one thing that I want to thank you for gifting me that I know you say you got from someone else is the phrase, isn't that interesting? (laughs) It's so good. Every time I do guided meditations with people every time i have my own you know meditation and i'm noticing things that isn't that interesting it's so gentle such a nice way to observe and distance and so um, i first heard it in one of my first northwest indiana yoga classes at the yoga room tell me where did you get it from mike
1: oh wow (laughs) so um Back when I was in grad school in 1984 to 1989, when I met my teacher, JP, who was teaching classes at Governor State, and it was a weekend, uh, like, relaxation kind of retreat that we did at the university there, and I think that was the first time that I did meditation with him, Mm. and one of the phrases that came out from him was this, isn't it interesting, Mm. And I remember thinking about, in the context of it, you know, any thought that came up during the meditation, any feeling, any fantasy, any
2: mm.
1: whatever, memory or that, you were just trying to distance yourself and say, isn't it interesting? So I latched on to that. And I, I over the years, you know, I have made so much fun of that back in the day when I was just <laughs> learning meditation and everything. I was like, it's not interesting, <laughs> you know? This, this is frustrating, some of these thoughts, some of these feelings, some of these ideas, some of these memories, mm. you know, all of these things, they they weren't interesting. But then once <laughs> I studied yoga, and it really solidified the meditative mind, mm. you know, because yoga, as many people don't know it as a meditation practice, but it is primarily that, mm-hmm. um, even by its own definition, but um, it has systematized how to get to the point where you become the objective observer of the reality in front of you. So when you say, isn't it interesting, you know, that, that makes you do that. Now, back in 1985, we didn't have functional MRIs. We didn't have, we did have MRIs, but we didn't have functional MRIs to prove that when you say that word, that it makes a functional change in your brain. And Mm. now we do, we do know that, um, anything that you latch on to and then you ruminate over or you think about or you perseverate on that brain is just going into the fight or flight response and trying to figure it out um, and makes you stressed you know so anytime you just say isn't it interesting no matter what that brain calms down and quiets down and you know then you come back to a more even keel and you let go of what we call the weight of the sense impression that came up for you that was heavy mm.
2: you
1: know and now it's lighter because you're saying isn't it interesting so yeah it's so, so 1980 gentle. 85 to 89 first years of dabbling in yoga and meditation and breath work and all of that so
0: hmm. so now one thing i find interesting is that <clears throat> many people i know <clears throat> excuse me who are deep into meditation kind of got there by doing yoga first they sort of found yoga as, oh, this is exercise, right? This is a new nouveau exercise, or this is, you know, something that uh, will supposedly help me relax. And I need, I want to get fit and also de-stress. So I hear this is like the golden key to that. And then, um, and then they kind of have this great introduction to, you know, at the end of the the session being able to be gentle, being able to relax, being able to go into this sort of guided meditation often from the instructors, and then they move deeply, more deeply into meditation. That actually is part of the path that I took as well. And I find it interesting that you studied meditation first and then deepened your practice with yoga, sort of the reverse of a lot.
1: (laughs) Yeah, and partly I realized uh, meditation teachers back when I was doing it. So you have to, the context of this is the 1980s. So meditation practitioners have been, in America, since the '40s and '50s, mm-hmm. and then at universities, primarily '50s, '60s, and '70s, when you hear about it with the Ramdasas of the world and yes. everything, they were latecomers in a way. Yeah, but they were the first people who really went to India, studied it with gurus, and then brought it back here, and it just blossomed and everything. So um, I was part of JP's, you know, training and with the. What I was getting was a master's degree in counseling psychology, Mm. which made me a marriage and family therapist. But then I also had a specialization in relaxation training, what is now called psychoneuroimmunology. So the the PNI, mind-body connection degree, was in its infancy then because there were people who were trying to wed this Western medical model that is destroying us right now Mm. um, currently with COVID Mm. um, Mm -hmm. with all of these other ancient practices and everything. And when you put the two of them together, research has shown now for 30 years, you know, 30 years of evidence of the benefits of kind of the Eastern philosophy with Buddhist practices and yoga practices and the systematic science of yoga with all these other things and allopathic medicine and all of that. So, yeah, that's been a wonderful journey. But, like anything in our culture, we're, um, we're a cafeteria culture
0: <laughs> yes. in
1: America. So, <laughs> it takes people a long, 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 long time mm. to go through the line in the cafeteria. <laughs>
0: um, and we're, and we're all a la carte it all, right? As opposed to realizing it's better when it's like whole, served in whole. Yeah.
1: <laughs> right. Well, that's like when you said, so, I had a Buddhist friend who, um, he's practiced meditation at the time when I met him, he'd been meditating for like 10 years longer than I had. And then I said, you know, come to yoga and, you know, do a little bit of this and, you know, we'll do a meditation together. And at the end of the meditation, he said, oh my God, like I've never experienced like this depth before. Mm. And what you find is that Buddhism is that if you're a Buddhist, you have a, you know, what the Buddha did is what you do. Yes. Right. <laughs> You know, yes. so the Buddha that's the said system. sit under the
0: Bodhi <clears throat> yes. tree
1: until you obtain enlightenment, right? Zazen on your zafu in the Zendo mm. and you obtain enlightenment, right? So that's it. Yoga, obviously the Buddha, when you look at his life, what did he do? He studied with yogis, right? right. He wandered for many, many years. And in studying with yogis, he didn't like their particular take. Um, But then he uh, accomplished what he accomplished because of some of those other practices where you look at today. Most people are just trying to isolate out meditation. And here's one of the things I mean, this is with the mindfulness wave that has happened. Mm. um, You have so many people who are practicing mindful meditation and everything, and not much has changed in their lives. And it's like because they're operating outside of a system, they're putting a practice in. And they're not really looking to change other behaviors and make mm. like yoga asked you to do, to make a lifestyle change. And now lifestyle, what does that incorporate? Well, that's everything from the music you listen to, to the books that you read, to the food that you eat, to the, the asanas that you do, to the mm. pranayama practices that you do to all these things. So many people who have added yoga to their meditation practices, um, because it's part of that science. Um, We always say the scientific experiment of the self on the self. And when you do that scientific experiment, yoga says, okay, we're going to guarantee that something's going to happen to you. And that guarantee is, you know, what yoga says is Moksha, Kaivalya, liberation or freedom. And Americans want one type of freedom, which actually binds you Mm. in many ways. So the type of freedom we're after makes you a slave to the system. So, the type of freedom that yoga is after is a freedom of your mind, Mm
2: -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So
1: you free up your mind, but because your mind isn't just your yoga system says, well, it's a body mind that has different sheets or layers or koshas, as we call it. I've got to go through all of those layers and release all of them. Then I experience that freedom. So it's a science. And anybody who I know who's done meditation first, then come to yoga second, has continued to incorporate just some of the practices of yoga into there. And then the irony is when you look at, like, in Buddhist practices, let's say that most just practice meditation, which is what Mm -hmm. they do. Many do have other physical practices in there. And you look at Tibetan Buddhism Buddhism specifically, where they've reintegrated what would be tantric practices, yogic practices, back into their system. Why? Because they're unique in the sense that in the many many schools of buddhism that there are they're unique in the sense that they believe you can obtain enlightenment in one lifetime so what are you going to do you're going to accelerate it so you got to do all these things mm-hmm. you got to worship these deities or these aspects of the divine you have to circumambulate the patala you mm-hmm. know the base mm-hmm. of the palace every day you <laughs> have to have your prayer wheel going all the time you got to get mm-hmm. your prayer flags going you have to make your life revolve mm-hmm. around liberation And then once you become liberated, you have a duty to liberate everybody else, too. So it's kind of cool that, you know, they're they're yogis. You know, one good resource for people is to go just on YouTube now and watch the Yogis of Tibet video. And you'll realize that yoga is not a physical practice. It's a mental practice. Mm. And we do a disservice to it. Every yoga teacher does a disservice to it. if They're convincing people it's a physical practice. But Mm. think of Americans. I've had—I was going to say—I've never had somebody, but just yesterday I met a 25-year-old guy, who, which is uh, interesting, that he's 25 and a male, who Mm. came and was wanting to do, you know, more yoga with us, and was in the beginning class, and that's a gentler class; it's easier, much more focused on transitioning people from that gross physical body to the subtle energetic body Mm. to the spiritual self, all within one class. You know, that's our our method at the yoga room so he came and you know i was thinking okay here's another 25 year old he's all buff and he's got these muscles and he looks you know awesome and everything and you know at the end of class i just said you know how was he He said this was fabulous And I thought, okay, so he's already gone beyond that physical Mm -hmm. realm of what yoga is looking for the more spiritual things and transitioning through Mm -hmm. that, which is great. You know, that's hopefully what we do for everybody.
0: Yeah. And it's nice to see. It's kind of like a harbinger of, of, you know, here's someone young who's there. And so how great is that for these upcoming Young people in this new generation, right? Yeah, sure. But that's that's good stuff. I like to hear it. I have three thoughts about everything you've said. I want to definitely circle back to the COVID concept here, and um, in a minute, and um, and then I also want to ask you a little bit about the tie into um, some of your early practice in Transcendental Meditation, right, um, as, as a brand also. And then I also want to let people know, right, where I invited Mike before we started the interview to go deep into all the yoga vocabulary, right, and you're doing a great job, you're hitting everything. <laughs> if you're listening and you're like, what the heck, yes, he's speaking a foreign language, and <laughs> literally, and also the language being Sanskrit, and then also, uh, there is a place where you can learn a lot about this, so the Book we're going to feature today is the Yoga Sutras of Patanjali, which you let me know I've been mispronouncing <laughs> for decades. <laughs> the Yoga Sutras oh. of Patanjali, and you can find that. And it's a great little, it's a tiny little book. It can be a tiny little book, and it can go very deep and um, and teach you these things. And, um, and you told me I think that a long time ago that you read it in the original um, Sanskrit, right? no oh you didn't I okay no. <laughs> maybe yeah. we, maybe you were saying that you wished you had or maybe jp had or yeah <laughs> right yeah,
1: okay JP, of course yes of we course were.
0: yes yeah mm.
1: i started to learn to chant it back in and that's i did i started to learn to chant it back in 2001 mm. because there's a, a friend of mine who um has been a yoga practitioner if i'm 60 i always think like i'm still like
0: 40 yeah right (laughs) i have that issue too
1: (laughs) right stan hafner is a friend of mine in austin texas and he was one of the founding yogis in america um uh, some of the practices in 1974 76 Mm -hmm. and 78 and he was in india for a, a number of years and said you know you the yogis of india chant the sutras just like a good Jew would chant the Psalms every morning. You know, that's just what you do. You do them in Hebrew. Okay, the yogis do mm-hmm. the uh, Yoga Sutras in Sanskrit. So I started to learn. You know, with his help, I think I can still chant. I don't know the first twenty-one of them, or okay? Something, but I, you know, so uh,
0: no. So now, how did that? Did it actually deepen your practice, and in what way? When you were doing that.
1: So chanting of any kind, if you think about, okay, there's 40 different schools of yoga. There's not one way of yoking, one way of changing. Mm -hmm. You know, this is the interesting thing. I always laugh when some people say, well, I can't do yoga. (laughs) And I say, you already are.
2: Ah. And
1: they're like, well, I've never been to a studio. Okay, well, yes, you haven't done Hatha yoga. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: So every single solitary american is doing one form one school of yoga now already okay so one of those schools is mantra yoga and mantra you know this is always funny when you translate sanskrit you can't into english because english is the worst language on the planet it's (laughs) the least it is it's the least specific right
0: that you actually makes it kind just, of fun. But yeah, you're right. It's it's very, yeah. very blended. It's very confusing to teach to kiddos, isn't it? <laughs> As yeah. you know well.
1: <laughs> yeah. I'm a former English teacher, mm-hmm. so I have some background in, you know, all of that uh, with linguistics and everything. Yes. So, so when you look at, like, yoga, the word yoga cannot... Now, Somebody listening to this is going to go, you know, my yoga teacher said, yeah, what I mean, you know, and that's great and wonderful yes. and
0: fabulous. But linguistically, mm-hmm. there is no word in the English language that comes close to its
1: meaning, which I love that. Then you have to find a word that does come close to it to define it. Right. Mm-hmm. So then when you do define it, it's going to have layers of meaning, not in our culture, but in the original culture. So right. Chanting, chanting of you know, different types of chanting. One of them is mantra. And when you're chanting the Yoga Sutras, any mantra is meant to be like a hook or an anchor for your mind. So it is a form of meditation. Mm-hmm. So if you're waking up in the morning and you're you're doing, I'll do just a little bit of what I can remember. Oh, Good. <laughs> this uh, chanting, but it's like, Ata Yoga yogaha Yoga Ha and so you just keep going and you're going to do it for 22 minutes. Wow. You know? So now, if you're doing that same thing every day, It's like any mantra that you're going to have where I'm going to repeat the same mantra over and over again. You just mentioned Transcendental Meditation. Mm -hmm. I did TM, you know, 20 years ago. I'm the kind of person who, because I'm more of a scholar when it comes to yoga, I want to know everything Mm. about it. So when somebody mentioned a meditation technique, I was like, oh, I'll try that. You know, I'll try (laughs) that. So I practice, you know, too many in one sense. But uh, when mantra meditation or TM, Transcendental Meditation, uh, the uh, Beatles made, you know, uh, Maharishi Mahesh Yogi famous. Yes. Uh, what's kind of funny when you study India. No, there's there's a hundred Maharishi Mahesh Yogi's in India. You <laughs> yeah. know, and we know we know one of them. Which yeah. Is kind of funny.
0: <laughs> he's but, the one but, um, he's the one they met on the street. right? right? Yeah.
1: <laughs> right. Right. So but in TM, you're just you have your mantra, you're chanting it over and over again, 20-minute session in the morning, 20-minute at night. And it's really short, three or four syllables. Everybody's is different. Mm. And when you're chanting that and everything, it's like, what's the point? Mm. You know, I'm going to chant this over and over again. Well, we look at, like, when Harvard studied uh, people who have obsessive-compulsive disorder and they were trying to get rid of it for them, they tried to figure out, okay, if we can teach people who don't have it to perseverate, so Mm, repeat mm -hmm. something in their mind, can we teach them to unlearn it? Mm-hmm. So they used ironically, this is going back 20, 30 years, they used ironically, like the, uh, what was one of the things they used was the lion sleeps tonight. Oh, you know, that, yeah. Moa, yeah that's moa, great. A moa, <laughs> a so they that's used a mantra.
0: A, I love it. A
1: mantra. <laughs> so they taught people that, and then they let them go for three months and six months, mm-hmm. came back after three months. Do you remember the little ditty we yes. taught to? Oh, yeah. So they found out, well, you get these things as earworms and you can't get rid of them. So for somebody who has OCD, that's debilitating, you know. But in mantra, what you want to do is think of this in one sense. Well, their mental illness, their debilitating uh, brainwave pattern is a benefit when they can take and make it a mantra. Make it something productive for the mind to focus on instead of negatively perseverating over covid or trump yes. or fill in the blank yes. with their partner or <laughs> yes. whatever you know my children you know all of
0: that yes so
1: yeah so mantras what it did for me was it gave me another vehicle um, and that's how i view all the meditation practices i've done another vehicle to use so i have this repertoire of all kinds of things that i can draw upon mm-hmm. in need um, so rich, which, which, which I love. I'm. I can be driving the car and get upset about something, and I can do a mantra. I can be sitting at a stoplight. I can do different meditation prayer. I don't just sit in the yes. zendo in zazen, you know, doing <laughs> its my, practical my, my application.
0: Practice. Ladies and gentlemen, you are listening to WVLP 103.1 FM in Valparaiso, Indiana, streaming live around the world at WVLP.org every Thursday mornings at 10 a.m. Central. Also available on anchor.fm slash tune in mindful radio at your convenience. Our show is underwritten in part by Unity of Northwest Indiana. Currently developing the premier Center for Spiritual Growth and Education in NWI with meditation walks and retreat house events. Learn more and support the growing movement at unitynwi.org. Our show discusses mindfulness and all its practical applications and even the impractical ones. And uh, if you're listening for the first time and you're like, hey, what the heck is this mindfulness thing everyone seems to be talking about these days? Well, we found a really interesting quote from someone named Laura Fortgang, a talented author and acclaimed professional life coach who describes it as, being mindful means being aware of everything and certain of nothing and today we are talking to one of my first yoga meditation teachers in northwest indiana mr mike zolfo owner of the yoga room for how many years now mike (laughs)
1: this will be 26 or 27 years yeah
0: and you know we were talking about the movement coming to the united states the movement of mindfulness um in meditation practice in yoga specifically coming to the united states very very late in the game considering how ancient a practice it is in um in India, and uh, and you were one of the first people to own a yoga studio officially in Northwest Indiana. And uh, what was that like?
1: <laughs> um, well, the, the whole story of it is kind of interesting. So I never wanted to teach yoga. I still don't. You know, I, <laughs> you would say.
0: I hear you keep um, trying to retire, but it won't take.
1: <laughs> I, know. Um, I was studying yoga we moved out here from uh, southwest suburbs of chicago in 1990 and i had just finished my master's degree in 1989 i was doing uh, i had a small office here in town i was teaching high school at Maryville high school and then i had a part-time job doing marriage and family therapy in an office here at crown point Point. and all the time i kept coming back to breath work and meditation practices for couples it was mm-hmm. working beautifully and wonderfully um, and then, you know, I just thought that maybe this'll this'll be my little niche and everything. Mm. But then when Maryville High School started a wellness program, the wellness director came to me and said, um, hey, we wanna start, you know, teaching yoga classes. Would you do it? And I said, I'm not qualified to do this, but I'll ask my teacher. So I asked JP and he didn't want to drive out to to do it he was in homewood mm. uh, there was another guy mike laroca uh, who was a real yogi there's very few real yogis anymore in america mm. um meaning he lived the lifestyle and adhered to the practices and all that kind of stuff wasn't a cafeteria yogi mm. um but he was teaching someplace else at purdue at the time um and then he didn't want to do it and then i said to the director i said you know um you know neither of them can do it he said why don't you do it till we find someone well we're still looking for something (laughs) but so I started it's your
0: interim uh, job
1: (laughs) right I started in like January of I think it was 1991 then summer came and the the, some of the women who were in my class said what are we supposed to do for the summer and I said well we'll start up the classes again in the fall because we were doing them at the high school
2: Mm -hmm.
1: and then one of the ladies said can't we don't you have a basement I'm like yeah we have a basement they said can't we use your basement so I came home and I said to my wife Um, I said, hey, a couple of the ladies want to do yoga in the basement. Do you mind? She's like, no, that's fine. Mm -hmm. Well, so then that was the yoga room, the basement of the house. We used to take the kids' toys and push those away (laughs) at the time. We had a a one-year-old, a three-year-old, and a five-year-old. And we used the yoga room till my wife got, you know, uh, (laughs) upset with having to clean all that stuff, myself included. And then we built built the studio in the backyard in 97. Then we moved on to um main street i think in Mm. 2000
0: okay and the studio
1: it's interesting one of the things when we built the studio in the back i'll never forget this and this tells you about my personality is uh we had opened up in 1997 in the back and it was a saturday class and afterwards this woman came up to me and she said you know it's too bad that you're doing yoga here in crown point i was kind of like oh Mm. you know why and she said well it'll never be successful Uh, The people here just aren't open to it. Uh, And what that woman told me was not about the people in Crown Point, but about her disposition and capacity. Yeah, Where I have known people of every persuasion to be open-minded and open-hearted, if you are too. Mm. So, um, anyone, so it's been interesting. That was my motivation. I was like, well, you just watch me go. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Right. (laughs) I love Uh, it. I think that's really cool. I noticed when I came because I had been living in Chicago in my twenties and I had been, um, practicing at the, um, peace studio and, um, just would drop in and it was great and uh I came as soon as I moved to Crown Point. The first thing I did was find a yoga studio. And I was like, "Oh, good, there's one right down the road basically. This is great, you know." And um and then I came to a class and I don't remember who the instructor was, um an older woman, and I don't know if she was there for very long, but she was basically it was yoga for beginners. Because um, I think when I called, I was asking, like, you know, what are the different, you know, I really was looking for, like, a kind of ubiquitous drop-in class like I had taken. Which, again, introduced me to, like, you know, the the prone uh, concept of the mindfulness and meditation at the end. And um, and, uh, so then it was like, well, why don't you just start off in the beginner class? And so I did. And it was... Very, very beginner, really just introducing a lot of things, which I had missed, obviously. And so it was great. Um, and then there was a little bit of this whole, like, you know, don't worry, this isn't voodoo. You know, don't worry, you're not going to go to hell, you know. And I was sort of like, wait, why is she even saying that, you know? And then I was like, all right, I moved back to Indiana. <laughs> like, ah. just, like, I'm not in Chicago anymore, Toto, you know.
2: Right. <laughs> Right.
0: different a different feel from the urban and the, <clears throat> even though we are one of the kind of far-flung chicago suburbs you know we are our own little world i'm jokingly telling people nowadays that i'm trying to make this true northwest indiana is the austin of the midwest <laughs> you like oh, it wow. <laughs> that's what our goal next <laughs> i mean we have our own uh, time zone you know so <laughs> right
2: right how
1: funny
0: <laughs> yeah um yeah so so I love that you are just, you know, and then when I, I did take a class with you, a daytime class at one point, and you started creating, I remember asking you, you know, back then, do you have a drop-in issue, and you were like, uh, our concept, and you were like, we don't, but, you know, let's create one, and it was great, and you were like, let's start doing punch cards, and I was like, amen, it was great, and you right. it opened up the punch card concept, which was so, I was traveling as a freelancer at the time, and so, any class I signed up for, I was going to miss some sessions, you know, and so you just made it work, and I loved it. It was great, and within you know a few months, you had the whole thing rolled out and all kinds of takers, and and that's what I like about you, about the yoga room, about um the concept of <clears throat> this consilience of like it, like you're talking about, like it, it's all kind of the same thing. Let's learn all the things, learn all the systems, and know that we're really practicing, you know, the same thing, which is sort of centering ourselves, centering ourselves with our concept of God or universe or connection to, um, the spiritual self. And you're using the much better vocabulary for it than I am. (laughs) So, uh, let's, we talked a little about transcendental meditation. I do want to ask you again, let's go back to this concept of how this sort of mindset is a different and can be a more beneficial mindset than doom scrolling and, you know, uh, ruminating and this perseverance on uh, the negatives, which our media, social media, our kind of American mindset can, you know, we're all about problem solving, linear goal setting, right? And this arrival at a place that may never exist, you know, it's always kind of this dangling carrot as we're getting beaten by the stick. (laughs) And so, so talk to me, talk to us, talk to all of us about how we can get into a centered place and and how have you thought differently about this the covid and the pandemic and and the roller coaster ride we've been on for the last five so months?
1: so don't misunderstand this, but mm. it hasn't been a roller coaster ride at all for me.
0: I love it. I think that's great,
1: yeah, so mm-hmm. Dan Harris uh, who has written ten percent half year book, yes. I think he has a mindfulness or a podcast on meditation. Um, was looking to interview people during this pandemic. And I have always said, you know, there's a meme that was on Facebook that said, uh, Buddhist monk before quarantine, sitting in meditation, (laughs) Mm. Buddhist monk after quarantine, still sitting in meditation. So Mm -hmm. Dan Harris went out and he found a Franciscan monk in a monastery in Upper State, New York, and he was interviewing him saying, you know, what has this been like for you? You know, this has got to have affected you. And I loved, I always loved when somebody is, is asked a question and they're a wisdom teacher and they laugh at the question. Yeah.
0: And then they ask right. another question. Right. <laughs> they answer with the question.
1: Because, yeah. Or in this case, what he did was he laughed because he knew the assumption that the interviewer had. Mm-hmm. You know, the assumption was that, you know, this has been chaotic for you. And the monk said, <laughs> it hasn't been. Yeah. You know, I happen to be in, I go to a monastery on a a silent retreat every year to a monastery Mm. in Iowa. And uh, one of the ladies there had asked a question, um, saying to him, what do you do? What do you recommend we do? Because of this, obviously this woman was a liberal Democrat. She said, (laughs) you know, what do you do now with the the Trump presidency Mm. and everything? (laughs) And he laughed and he said you know, we're here in the monastery, we take a vow of silence. You come in here all the time, and you tell us what culture's like. Uh, he says, yes. you know what, we had people complain about Bush, about Reagan, <laughs> about Clinton. And yeah, he says, right. You're, you're in that realm of samsara. <clears throat> so that word samsara yes. is what you and I are trapped in, right? There's a great, it's a mo- video, highly recommended. It's not, you can get it online somewhere, but it's called samsara. Mm. And it's not It's a documentary Mm. that was filmed many years ago, but it describes this realm of existence. Mm. So you and I have a choice every day of what the existence between your ears is going to be like. Now, a yogi does not deny that Mm -hmm. there's discord and chaos and everything. Mm -hmm. A yogi is very much aware of the two extremes of life, of the chaos that exists all the time, and the order that exists Mm, all the time mm -hmm. and this is where buddhism comes in buddhism says okay what are you choosing to look at now some people are going to say i'm not choosing to look at (laughs) it right okay then they have never turned and looked inside so what you have to realize is okay what what are you looking at now and what happens now is that with social media with the illness of social media possessing the capacity to take something negative and amplify it within minutes. Right. But it also has the possibility to take something and amplify it positively as well. Right. Right. Depends upon what you're looking at. But for the negative side of it, um, if the inner world is not peace and calm, recognizing that we're swinging between chaos and that I keep posting this on my Facebook page and I always get backlash for it. Hmm. Um, during the COVID, Mm. um, The most recent one that I posted was there are 60 million people in Italy. Eight people recently died of the COVID there. 1,705 people died of other illnesses and diseases. In America, we have 350 million people. There were 389 people who died of COVID the other day. There were 7,705 people who died of other things. My point in posting that is that Not to minimize what's going on with COVID at all, but this death and dying, there's 7,705 or more Americans, I believe that's 2017 statistics, dying every day. So what is the yogi aware of? I'm aware of death and dying every waking moment of every day. I don't dwell on it. I don't perseverate on it. I'm aware that there are people suffering all the time. This is you're, We're talking about mindfulness here. Mindfulness comes out of Vipassana meditation circles, out of Buddhist philosophy and everything. And one of the very first principles in the Four Noble Truths is, all of life is dukkha. Now, it gets translated sometimes as suffering, which yes. is okay that it's suffering, all of life is suffering. But when you think about its, its Sanskrit translation is, all of life, I'm ill at ease. Mm. All of life, I'm ill at ease. Mm. Or... I'm at ease, right? Mm -hmm. So the goal is to make your life swing between the pendulum, right? And to realize that if you just let life take you and you don't practice meditation and you don't practice breath work and you don't practice concentration exercises and you don't practice yoga nidra, life just picks you up and will drag you wherever it will go. And so right now for two, three years, there's been people you know, liberals and who identify as liberal and progressive and Democrats who are being dragged through the mud yeah. because of Trump. Now, since the lockdown, there's people being dragged through the mud because of, you know, the, the quarantine and everything and COVID. So it's real for many people. But then when you look at these people in monasteries, then you look at people like us who are supposed to be Taking practices every day to mitigate. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Dr. Fauci, Mm -hmm. for putting that word into our vocabulary, right? (laughs) Yeah. To (laughs) to mitigate. I'm not concerned as much about mitigating the effect of COVID, right? I'm doing things to make, keep myself healthy. Yes, right. But to mitigate the effect of those negative things, which have always been there, and they're always going to be there, right? So your level of stress and anxiety and worry many people my level of stress and anxiety and, and worry has ramped up so okay. when covid hit what i took because i i felt this wave coming in january and february yes. for some reason mm. and then when it hit i have told people that what i did i have a practice of anywhere from an hour to an hour and a half a day oh, that's i do very few yoga poses okay i i do six of them just to make myself happy right <laughs> but then i do all these other practices that are yoga practices breath work a lot of meditation mantra affirmations you know things like that and then when it hit i i made the choice to practice one to three hours more per day so when i did that it was so awesome to be almost in this like as the as the anxiety you could feel it ramping up in culture mm-hmm. all of this if if people's level of anxiety was at the mild level, it went to moderate. If they were at moderate, Mm -hmm. it now went to severe. Mm -hmm. And I'm using that as a clinical explanation for people who don't have psychology as their background to understand what's happening now. Mm -hmm. So people who are mild, you don't need medication, you don't need you know, uh, intervention or anything, you can survive in culture and society. Once you go from mild to moderate, now you're impacting other Mm, people's mm -hmm, lives mm -hmm. and your own. Once you go to severe, now you're impacting a lot of other people's lives and your own and you're doing harm to yourself and other people, not physically, mentally, or emotionally.
2: Yes, detrimental. So
1: that's what's happened during the COVID. So me sensing this, it was just like, okay, I need to ramp up my practice because of all this other energy that's around me and everything. And then, so that lasted maybe a month six weeks, I forget, and then I started to go back to my regular practice. So how it has affected me like, oh my gosh, quarantine me the rest of my life. (laughs) Right. Right? Here's my monastery. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I'm used to being alone. I'm used to being still. Now that's coming from a guy and people need to know this. That if you were to diagnose me and with mental illness or disease, mm. like you would diagnose everybody. And there's nobody who doesn't have a diagnosed right. mental illness. If you don't think you do, call me. I will give you a diagnosis, <laughs> yeah. right?
0: Or ask your kids. So, ask anybody, you know, ask your own children.
1: <laughs> right, right. So I have uh, post-traumatic stress disorder from mm. something that happened to me when I was a child. Okay. Uh, hyperactivity, um, anxiety, mild bouts of depression my whole life. Mm. So that's my background. Okay the mitigating practices for me have been everything I've done since I was 24 years old to mitigate that in my body, mind. Mm -hmm. So that's where all these other practices come in. So I'm used to it. So it's easy. Um, For me, I'm proud to say that the number of yoga students who were live streaming with us now that we're open at the studio again, the number of students who come back who have said that we the yoga room or yoga practices that we have taught have been a lifeline for mm, them. Mm-hmm. That's what we want to be because that's in, in times like now when people have a couple double whammies in their lives and everything. It's not going to get better until you stop and pause, turn inward, turn inward, turn off the TV. Yeah. And you don't ever have to watch TV the rest of your life. Yeah, <laughs> turn, turn off. All of these things, and it's so funny, like, very simple things like um not choosing to feed into some of the social media that has all the negative stuff, because you're causing your own problems, right? Now, that's not our culture, mm. right? So...
0: That's oh, that's so good. Listeners, I'd like to remind you again you are listening to WVLP.org and 103.1 FM in Valparaiso, Indiana. Our show tune in is also available in podcast form at anchor.fm slash tune in mindful radio or anywhere you get your podcasts. If you find us there, come say hi. Leave us a message. Our show is underwritten in part by Kiki Productions Inc. Communications Coaching, teaching exercises to help you cycle out of fight or flight in the moment, with a mission to create individual harmony to add peace to the world, Kiki Productions, Inc.'s philosophy is, when you are confident, focused, and authentic with your message, you are a magnet to those you wish to attract. Share the love at CoachKiki.com. I want to talk for a second to all of our listeners about the uh, not just the concept of mindfulness, but also about um, the... The station that we are a part of, that we support, that uh, gave us the opportunity to be here with you, and that is WVLP, as in Valparaiso. WVLP is your community-based, licensed public radio station based in Valparaiso, Indiana. And by community-licensed, we mean that we serve no interest except the people of Valparaiso and surrounding northwest Indiana. It also means that we must rely on our listeners and underwriters to support the station financially to keep the great programs you have come to expect for you free on the air. Uh, WVLP is facing a serious cash shortfall at this moment with our major fundraising events canceled. So if you're a WVLP listener or you're a fan of TuneIn and other shows, now is the time to take the next step and become a member today by donating online in whatever amount you are able at wvlp.org slash support. We thank you for your support. And, you know, we're going to talk again about mindfulness and about all these different opportunities that we have. And so I am looking at... I'm looking at some other verbiage I have here, and I just want to go back to this wonderful quote we have from Laura Fortgang, which is, being mindful means being aware of everything and certain of nothing. And we, I've heard this phrase over and over again, Mr. Mike Zolfo, who's talking to us from the yoga room, one of the earliest formal yoga studios in Northwest Indiana. And that phrase is, in these uncertain times, right? In these uncertain times. You can apply that to any time ever, right? But we are, you mentioned you felt this wave coming in January and February, you know, before we really had a lot of this info on the horizon. I mean, you know, if you're tuned in globally, then you kind of were aware, again, of the things to be reactive to, right? But there's like a, there's an energetic shift happening. There's, you know, mindfulness exploded recently. People are becoming aware. We all know that change and challenge are opportunities for growth, right? Or maybe we don't know that you're welcome. You're learning it now. (laughs) Change and challenges are opportunities for growth. When we can go within, we can find that practice. We can see what is, isn't that interesting, right? Going back to our opening discussion, isn't that interesting that this is triggering me? Isn't that interesting that I can identify with PTSD or mild depression, right? Isn't that interesting? And then how can I find that center and be okay and accept, like you said, this What we would normally call cognitive dissonance, right, Um, but is really actually the acceptance of there are not just either ors, but ands in the world. It's always an and, right? And we can create that duality into unity. We find that harmonizing coherence, right? Um, And I love this new word I just learned yesterday, consilience. Which is again like you know the belief that um, that you know that it's all one system, right? That that religion and science don't have to be at odds. That it's just different ways of saying the same thing, right? Um, and uh, so I, <clears throat> I, you're really already speaking this language. And so because of your background, too, which I would love to hear kind of the the linear tale of in a second. But I want to kind of talk about all the things that you have helped me with personally and my family with. Um, A long time ago, too, I heard that you were one of the first uh, students of Harville Hendricks and uh, the Imago therapy, right, which is a whole different system, but very cool. This idea of kind of being attracted to someone who's going to trigger all your stuff and help you work it out. Um, And so and you've done uh, this partnership of breath work of uh, mindfulness practices in marriage and family. Family counseling, and you have been a teacher of language and a teacher of, of breath work and, and yoga sutras and yoga postures. And um, I would like to hear then, thinking of all of that, like what is your arc? How did you, what are all the career paths you have had that have taken you here? And because we know that they're all connected, it's basically Mike Zolfo's cosmic purpose. Angel. <laughs> Wow. yeah huh you didn't know how uh, uh existential this was gonna be for you today <laughs> I know. I know.
1: Yeah. <laughs> well there's so many you know I've always I was aware of my life being a mosaic like mm-hmm. a mosaic that you're building when I was like 24 years old and starting to fill in those things and so different pieces came at different times to begin to fill in gaps, but I always say one of the things that I've always learned through with these Western systems is how Eastern philosophy and yoga is from a Western perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, I'm a Jungian. I'm a deconstructionist, which is a whole nother, like realm of existence altogether. I'm basically mm-hmm. a deconstructionist, so I have to hide that because that can destroy people's lives once you deconstruct what they believe, um, which is part of what yoga does, too. So Mm. one of the schools of yoga is called Laya Yoga. And you just mentioned like cognitive dissonance Um, in yoga system. Yoga says that there's a fundamental shift in consciousness required of every student who does yoga. Mm. That fundamental shift in consciousness, if the student chooses not to shift into it, that's okay. It's not the teacher's responsibility, but the teacher can break that relationship with them. So the fundamental shift in consciousness is required of everybody is that they love everyone. Mm. So you're supposed to love people that you don't like, can't stand, yep. drive you crazy, and bug you, <laughs> right? So no big deal. we do. Right? <laughs> so cognitive dissonance, love everyone. Yeah. Well, he doesn't mean that. Yeah. You know? Well, back in the day when I was a Leo Buscalia fan. Mm, yes, I love him. No,
0: but I love but, his stuff, um,
1: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but Leo Buscalia when because he, he was a, a lover of life and a mm-hmm. lover of everything, and somebody said to him one time, you don't really expect us to love everybody, and he said, well, why don't you tell me where I should start and where I should end?
2: Ooh.
1: You know? Yeah. So that idea, so now if I if I preach the same thing, so you tell me, point out to me the people who I'm supposed to hate.
0: Yeah, right. right? And they will. And that's where, <laughs> oh, they will.
1: Yeah. And that's where Jung said, you know, when you realize that there is no world outside of your own mind, mm-hmm. that it's only in your mind, mm-hmm. that everything is a projection of your reality. Mm-hmm. So anytime I'm complimenting everybody, anybody, I'm complimenting a small portion of myself. Mm-hmm. Anytime I'm criticizing anybody, I'm criticizing a small portion of myself too, or a large portion of myself. Because, as Jung point out, the shadow manifests in our life more than anything. So, that awareness, that consciousness, you know, that you're trying to get people to see that, and we, we know this like through neuroscientists now, where people tend to think, well, so and so causes me stress. No, they don't. Mm-hmm. Yes, they do. No, they don't. You <laughs> are choosing mm-hmm. to view them a certain way or that situation a certain way. So now you're reacting to that, mm-hmm. right? And it's like, well, people are like, no, that's not. This. I'm around this person, and this is, I feel this way. Mm-hmm. But when you practice meditation, what you realize is you get the gap or the distance between what's going on in my mind and that projection in front of me and then how I'm responding to it. So, you know, you change that reaction that animals do, right, to the thing that humans do. We have a neocortex. Mm-hmm. You know, we have prefrontal cortex. Mm-hmm. Um, animals don't have that. And because they don't possess that ability then to think about their thinking and then to think, to step back and observe reality very differently than to make choices, you know. Um, So all of that is like tied in. And in Laya Yoga, Laya Yoga says, okay, so here's my view of reality, whatever it is. And now I've got to break down my view of reality. So I really have to, you know, I'm just this is a, a fun little game suggestion. So you pick your top 10 books that you like and you burn them. Ooh. Right. And then you take the notes or your journal. Now, I did this in 19 on August 22nd, 1999. Wow! You take your journals and everything and you get rid of them. Okay. You burn them. Right. So what you have to do is you have to let go of the past yeah. because the cognitive dissonance is my mind doesn't possess the capacity to entertain this new idea. Mm. So what people do is they go to war with themselves and yep. they go to war with other people. Mm. So that's my Byron Katie. Yes yeah, I was like gonna Byron I was Katie thinking of her back.
0: there too, yeah, but also, I think I had heard of her, but the first place where I ever really practiced the work of Byron Katie was at a class at the yoga room and I don't know yeah. over a decade ago at least yeah, yeah. really great
1: as a, as a high school as a high school teacher now a teacher of yoga for twenty some years, what I always knew was all of us have a different physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual disposition we are born with mm. and capacity we can obtain in this life. There is nobody. Like me on this planet. Yeah. There is nobody like you on this planet. Nobody looks like you, nobody talks like you, nobody thinks like you. And then what do you have now is you have all these people who want everybody to wear masks, everybody thinks <laughs> vote yeah. for Biden, everybody yes. to do what everybody because everybody should think the same, yeah. right? So you're trying to look at what's important to you stepping back and looking at your reality to de-stress, mm. to, to get to the point where how can I let go of all these projections? And then begin to see the world as it is, chaos and order, mm-hmm. right? And then, in, in that removing of that projection, breaking down that, then I can start to understand what it means to love everybody. And to love everybody doesn't mean you hug them. What it means is, <laughs> yeah. it means is that you will do good in them. Right? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> one, one of my favorite <clears throat> books from the 70s was mm. M. Scott Peck's The Road Less Traveled, yes, because good he one. was one who defined for a whole generation. Mm. Uh, what love was. And he always said, love is the will to extend oneself for the purpose of nurturing another person's spiritual growth. Mm. So yoga says the fundamental shift in consciousness required of everybody who does yoga is that you adopt that belief. Now you can't just adopt that belief, right? Cause you hate people. You don't like people. You can't stand them. They bug you. Yeah. You have to gradually open up to it. And just one quick story. So a friend of mine last night, I was over there last night and we were talking, um, he, I said to him a long time ago. He's had you know stress of his own with relationships and things like that. And I said, well, you know, you have to love this other person. You have to will the good in them. Start start mm-hmm. praying for them. Start meditating for them. Start you know doing a loving kindness meditation for them and everything. And he said, okay, this is going to be hard for me. So yeah. last night he said, you know, it was over at my friend's house. She's having a difficulty with a friend. He said, you know what I suggest? <laughs> he said I suggested to her that she just <coughs> love that other person. Yeah. And she said, and I said. Here it was, and I love this man dearly. I've known him for 20-some years, and really just opening up to that idea within the past two years or so, now it's beginning to take fruit in his life and everything. And then here's the cool thing about all of this stuff, all of this, all of this mindfulness, all of this. So think about the Chinese character for mindfulness has an upper portion and a character and a bottom. The upper portion means now this, mm. and the bottom portion means heart-mind. So mindfulness is the union of the heart and the mind in this moment right here, right mm. now, non-judgmental, right? So in that unity consciousness, you have no stress. You have no stress. So the goal is to not have stress. right? You know? So that's moksha, that's liberation, that's freedom. Um, and what you're saying enough.
0: too, <coughs> sorry to interrupt, but what you're saying too is that it doesn't mean that there isn't external stress that exists while you're not having stress. It's that you see it, it's the same thing as saying like, yes, I could get hit by a bus, but I'm not going to ruminate on that every time I walk down the sidewalk, right? It's the same right. thing, right? Okay, I may not like who's in the White House. <clears throat> and also, I'm going to be here now and accept that this person is in the White House. And, and by the way, two notes to the listeners. A, we're not trying to trash liberals. It's just an easy example, right? And, and we can all, <laughs> a lot of us can relate to, especially double wvlp listeners and um oh i already forgot my second note. uh uh so we've got about seven eight minutes left of the show and so um Gosh, this has been so fun. And I say it to every guest that we could do like a whole two or three episodes, right? Because the show is only an hour long. We've got these station breaks and uh, it takes up time. But this has been a blast. And there are so many other things we can talk about. Uh, One thing I would love to let listeners know right now is uh, if they want to do some more of this mindful practice, if they want to dip the toe in or get a little deeper into whatever they've been doing with yoga, how can they connect to the yoga room, especially right now, um, virtually, as you've mentioned?
1: Yeah, so there's a number of different opportunities. Like we've created, uh, the one is you can live stream any of the classes that we have right now. You just go into yogaroom.com, create an account, and you know you can get in through there to purchase packages. Um, the other thing is we've taken some of the um, wh- what I'm calling, and I don't have it in front of me, but I always forget. Like yoga is a lifestyle choice Mm. so there's a yoga lifestyle management course that i offer through private lessons it can be done through three or six or nine of them to begin to help people understand how to integrate this system into their life on a daily basis so that's you know private lessons via zoom you know or skyping or something like that um so those are good ways to do it the other thing is always i mention you know there's so many good resources out there now like mindfulness has spread what i would say it's gone through this big expansion and now it's contracting mm. you know because there are people realizing like hey i did <coughs> mindfulness and nothing happened you
0: know <laughs> or i tried it so, and it was too much work
1: <laughs> right. right so you, you there's resources and books and things like that uh hans books mm. uh, pieces every step
2: mm, yes. um, i always
1: recommend one of those because that's what i started with was a systematic you know, approach that he uses with his monks in the monastery. Mm -hmm. And that was awesome with our kids. We had these little sayings up all over the house. You know, I've had one in the car before starting the car. I know where I am going. The car Mm. and I are one. That's nice. If the car goes fast, I go fast, you know? (laughs) Oh, that's cool. When the kids realize, you know, other people don't have this on their desk. Yeah. Something's wrong. Something's (laughs) wrong with you. (laughs) Some people don't need to be reminded of how they're brushing their teeth. Oh, that's
0: great. But that's that's, what a nice (laughs) way to center yourself in that. You know, when I'm running behind and I'm stressed and I'm snapping at my kids about getting their shoes on or whatever, they say, Mommy, can you say we arrive in our perfect time? And I go, We arrive in our perfect time. And I (laughs) I get centered again. (laughs) Like mine, Mom, nice. mommy. Say your thing,
1: <laughs> right? And rem- here's an awesome thing about mindfulness. So you can't teach it to kids under twelve. that, yeah, that was a right. traditional thing mm. in other cultures. In America, we're not the best. We're the worst of you know this cafeteria culture yeah. the world. So we do have to teach mindfulness to kids about the age of five, six. Yeah, or seven that's when they start to get it.
0: Yeah, mm-hmm.
1: th- that's when they get. If they get the minute they get a device in their hand where oh, they're gosh. connected to the outside world, um, they lose that. The 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 presence
0: mm-hmm. and know. parents can see it. You know, my kiddos, obviously, there's been so much extra stuff online now, almost all their play dates. And it's just it's been very um, it's been very fragmenting of them. I've, I see them become more aggressive and um, and impatient and angry and anxious the longer they've been in front of even these things that are helpful, you know, so yeah, but uh, I remember my other point and that is that we've been hearing this beautiful bird song in the background and so if you're hearing something, you're like, what is that little high-pitched thing I keep hearing? That is my beautiful view that listeners cannot see of Mike Zolfo and his beautiful backyard with these gorgeous trees and I can hear these wonderful birds and that's been really nice too so my morning started with a long, loving, kindness meditation and some bird song at my own house and I thought it was really apropos for our upcoming interview, so yeah. uh yeah very very cool but i i yeah. wanna
1: i want to suggest one Do. thing because i was interviewed about six years ago when obama was president okay and at that time i talked about republicans and, and yeah conservatives.
0: yeah right i did, yeah. I, did I believe I'm, it i not. that's aligned, triggered.
1: independence yeah the good thing is you can see objectively yeah. a little bit more yeah so whoever's in the white house when yeah. I, I talk part-time at purdue yeah whoever's in the white house we trash them and go to the other yeah. people
0: and, <laughs> that's yeah. right always that's always
1: concerned
0: yeah <laughs> Well, so when, yogis,
1: are yeah. not a, yogis are not apolitical, mm, right. um, but they really are, you know, when you look at the people who are the movers and the shakers of the world, read The Hobbit, because it's not mm. the big people, it's mm. not the national people, the change has already occurred in America, and yeah. I'm not talking about anybody in the White House, I could care less who's in the White House, the change has already occurred on the ground level, yep. Cons- consciousness raising, you're oh, yes. doing it, Right by this broadcast, you're doing it. Mm. What you're trying to do is make people more present, and make people more compassionate, more loving, more patient, more peaceful, more joyful. That's and right. Then, you know.
0: That's right. <laughs> My husband and I joke that we're like kind of in Versailles, right? We're sort of living the time of like the French Revolution right now in some ways, right? But um, but if we can do a, a loving kindness revolution, all the better, right? Because then it's yes. more lasting. So beautiful. Right. Uh, Have one, you follow
1: Russell Brand at all?
0: Oh, you, you know, know Russell Brand yes, Brand? I do. He's hilarious. Yeah. And I, you know, I he and I are both in recovery. And so uh, I, I get him. <laughs> I really right. get him in a lot of ways. Yeah, it's great.
1: Yeah. He, he was interviewed in England about... He wants to have a revolution, and mm-hmm. the interviewer—it just went right over his head.
2: Oh, you know,
1: he said the revolution is a love revolution, where we where we really learn to love people. Mm, you know, he said yeah. some really awesome stuff on that recently about Americans too so I'm good not gonna,
0: I'm yeah not going for that, well it but. is radical it's a radical concept right um so in just the last couple of minutes I want to say one thing we haven't mentioned which is uh, that the yoga room is one of the rare places in Northwest Indiana that offers prenatal yoga it's still not something that's like really pervasive yet mm-hmm. <clears throat> but it really really was great in both of my pregnancies and uh, helped me get to that path of like the natural water birth and everything and it was just really mm. really in alignment with it and um, and I really I feel like Jennifer Connol Teaches those, I think, and uh, she's very cool. And hey, we'll have to connect with her and see if she can come on the show and talk to us yeah. even more about prenatal yoga. Yeah. So, uh, once again, uh, theyogaroom. dot com is where people can find uh, all the classes there and jump in and stream online. And Mike Zolfo, what would you like to leave our listeners with today?
1: How much time do you
0: have? I know we have about a minute. <laughs> <laughs>
1: So let's just, we'll do a very brief, mm. little short meditation if Thank we can. You. And you just give me a cue when you have got five seconds left. Okay, so go for it. Just let yourself sit upright, close your eyes, remembering that the one aspect of mindfulness is just body and breath awareness. So just be aware that you're rooted in your seat, mindful of how you're sitting. Relax your jaw. Relax your eyes and eyelids and just notice your breath not changing it just be aware of the cool air in and warm air out and do this one minute a day 10 minutes a day 20 minutes a day or one to three hours if you're retired
0: oh this is beautiful Thank you so much. Namaste, listeners, and we'll see you later, meditators.